Just One Thing is a podcast with both feet firmly placed in the world of events and the creative industries. Presented by me, Mel Noakes. And me, Max Fellows. It's a podcast from Elevate, where industry trailblazers write a letter to their younger selves. And consider what wise words of advice they would give themselves now, if only they could. Our discussion is all based on this letter. Be prepared for refreshingly honest conversations and words of wisdom. Our guest on this episode is Nick Neal, who is a freelance people and culture strategy consultant, but until very recently was the head of people and operations at the brand experience agency, Our Live, which is where she'd worked for over 15 years. That is quite a jump for a self-confessed control freak that likes to play it safe. She has built her career on her innate people skills, starting as an intern while at uni and worked her way up the business as it grew from just three people to over 55. She found her flow in the people space, falling in love with thinking and about how people work and behave. Nick says clarity always comes from engagement, not thought. You just need to dive in, take chances and go and grab what the world has to offer. Welcome to our sofa, Nick. It's a bit strange listening to somebody talk about you and your whole life flashing before your eyes. Thank you. Get prepared. The next 45 minutes is going to be very much about that. So yeah, welcome to the podcast and the Elevate Sofa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a nice operation in here. I'm very impressed. Thanks. We, um, we've legit, done events before. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very impressed. Done this before, so for yeah. those that don't know you, Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your background. So I am now a people and culture strategy consultant, but that title is relatively new. It's months old. Um, My career was really spent at one kind of key agency, which was our live brand experience agency based in Liverpool, which is where I live. And I started there as, as an intern, fresh out of the box and just basically worked my way up. And if you'd asked me even... 12 months ago, where where would I be in 10 years time? I probably would have said there, to be honest. So yeah, this new this new role is a really exciting new venture for me. Um, and yeah, really keen to, to see what it has to offer. And it's a really exciting time to get you on the sofa because I think for so many people at their careers, especially when you've been at one brand for a long time or one place for a long time, that pivotal moment where you make that decision to go, you know what, I'm going to try something new, whether that's starting your own journey or going to a different company that point at which you go, oh, it's time to change is a really interesting point. So we're delighted to have you on the sofa now so we can share some of those secrets and tips Mm. and and explore some of that journey with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm keen to ask, how would your friends describe you? They would probably say that I am a people person, funnily enough. Shocker. Um, (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I think people would say I was confident and I think that's always this really... This is not people. How would your friends describe you? My friends. You? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Let's get let's get a little bit deeper then. I would say they think I am their therapist. I'm often the person that they come to for advice, the life advice, the serious advice. Um, I'm busy a lot of the time is how they describe me. Um, but yeah, a, a people, warm, kind-hearted person that likes reruns of friends is probably what they would call me <laughs> no one's gonna hold you to that that's fine i will i will have you off with any friends quiz really any day of the week. good yeah, to know yeah. if, if there's that friends section you're up i've got you and, and, and why in terms of that life advice the counselor of and things like that why have you taken that role within the friendship group i think because i have you should we say yeah i think i am 
I'm the big sister. I, I am the oldest in, in my family and I've got quite a blended family in this. I've got one sister, a half sister, a half brother, even though we don't do titles, it's all kind of brothers and sisters. And I think I've always just played that older sibling kind of role. I've always wanted to protect people. I've always wanted to be the sensible one. I've always wanted to give good advice. I've wanted people to be able to rely on me, to depend on me. Um, that's always been quite important. I've wanted to create stability for other people. I've wanted to create an environment where they feel, yeah, comfortable and and secure. So yeah, I tend to be the person that gives mortgage advice and yeah, advice on boyfriends that I don't think hit the mark and things like that. <laughs> where does that want and need to provide stability for others come from? Yeah, I think, I, think, I mean, my parents got together when they were really, really young. Um, they got married very quickly. They had me, I think my mum must have been 19 when she had me. So really, really young. And I I don't have a memory of them together. They they divorced really, really quickly. Um, it's actually quite sad to think that you don't have a memory of your parents mm. kind of like happily together, but their divorce and their relationship whilst kind of really fighting over um, me and my sister was, it was difficult. It was full of a lot of conflict. They were two very oppositional people and neither were necessarily wrong in how they felt. It just was expressed in wildly different ways. So I found myself kind of being in, in the middle on that spectrum and really trying to find the harmony and trying to protect my little sister because I didn't want her to see so much conflict and so mm -hmm. much arguing. And there really was quite a lot of resentment between my mum and dad to a certain degree. I think there still is. Um, and you just want to, you adapt, don't you, as a child, you kind of reach your adaptive child state and want to protect and want to make sure everything's okay. And I think that's really the role that I tried to play. And bearing in mind at this point, I'm probably like five maximum. Wow. So it's it's quite young when this is happening. And my parents kind of did go through the court route, which meant that me and my sister were pulled into welfare officer meetings and there was a lot of arguments about who we would live with. Um, and that, yeah, that probably made growing up feel not that safe at times. Mm. Um, and yeah, we, we ended up, we, I was born in Cardiff, which is actually where all of my family are, are from. Um, and I'm really proud to be from Wales, but my mum kind of moved us to Liverpool quite quickly. She, she met someone else and remarried, which really separated us from, from my dad, which upset him really, really greatly. And so, yeah, just being caught in that really kind of like conflict-ridden environment, I think made me crave that sense of security and just wanting to keep everything kind of like really steady and stable. And as a result, my sister always came to me for for advice. And yeah, we we kind of like really stayed together as a little twosome for, for quite mm. some time. Um, you get that real sense of connection, I guess, through the letter and the way that you write in your story of helping bridge gaps, bring people together, find ways to bring out the best in people. So to think like from such a young age to have learned that skill 
How else has that played out in your life? What, what, what other things have you seen that bear fruit in? Well, interestingly, I did, every now and again, you do one of these psychometric tests because you need a piece of paper to tell you who you are. Yes. You can't figure it out Are we myself. talking kind of your yellow, red cross? Um, or... This was the Gallup test. So it was yeah. all yes. about your strengths. Yeah. Um, and all of the strengths that would come to the table would be restorative, harmonizer, collaborator bringing people to together so that was very much kind of what what I was all what I was all about um but then I guess after after we kind of moved to Liverpool which was quite scary moving to a completely different city with a load of people that have got this really harsh different accent using words that you don't understand I've now just about got the lingo I've been embraced into the Scouse culture now um I was really fortunate actually because I had a fantastic school experience then. Like I sat in the middle in that I was clever enough to get good grades, but I wasn't like a real, real nerdy geek. I was good enough to be in the the play, but I wasn't the main part. I was good enough to be in the sports team, but I was never the captain. It was just always, I was never the best at anything. I was always just kind of in the middle, which was great because didn't get in trouble with my parents. I had a really good kind of like school environment. And I think I really found a love then for performing and singing and being on the stage. I think a lot of people in this industry really find mm. their feet with performance. Like, Have why you do we? Several, several of them, right? It's, it's, it's a really interesting thread through it, actually. But yeah. also, I think, you know, as parents, as we all are now, and you're trying to think about opportunities for your kids to go and learn things and life skills and all of that yeah. actually performing arts is one of the things that I am now thinking from public speaking and connecting mm. with people and empathy exactly and you learn so much so it's not really a surprise to see so many people in our industry yeah. but it's it's been four, a really interesting red thread yeah. through hasn't yeah it? four people then me the fifth in terms of on the counts that have had that that have had that performing arts type yeah. theater drama yeah please tell me there's video evidence somewhere if you're in a girl band or on play because I we need I those in the show notes. Vibes and I'm yeah. not gonna lie. Could you see that? <laughs> totally. Okay. Um there are videos. My husband hasn't even been able to see these videos yet, and he is desperate and <laughs> I won't do it. I won't do it. So no, you're not gonna get uh, you're not gonna get to see any video evidence, sadly. Couple of wines in, you might get me on a karaoke and that's about as far as okay. it as it really? will as it will go. Um but yeah, I I did really find my feet with performance and I loved singing was more it for me than anything else. I really loved just singing on the stage, singing for an audience. Like I really loved being in front of an audience and I do think it's helped me be a better presenter on stage now. Interestingly, when I get a CV and I've sat in, got a thousand interviews, if I see that somebody has got a performing arts background, it always pricks my ears up and I'm really, really keen to hear more about their story because I do think it really equips you quite well for this, for this industry. And I really wasn't that bothered about going to uni. I was like so happy performing. I was in this band that I genuinely thought was going to be famous. Um, what was it called? It was called, it was called Pure. Don't laugh. Um, it was called Pure. And we we performed at like um, Everton's football ground and we were on telly and things like, so things were like happening. But sadly, yeah, the dream, the dream died quite, quite quickly and whilst I wasn't that bothered about going to uni, um, one day uh, I did genuinely think I was going to have a career just doing the pubs and clubs. I thought there was brilliant money to be made in it and thought, screw it, let's just go in, you know, circle mm. the clubs. Um, a friend of mine in school um, went to a university open day 
and you used to be able to not go to school on the days that you went to a university open day. So I was like, I'll tag along. That sounds great. Um, and she was going to the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, which is called LIPA for short. It's the school that Paul McCartney um, started for the arts. It's quite a prestigious school. It's very small. The classes are really, really small, um, but a really, really prestigious school. And she said, do you want to come along to this open day and, and see what it's about? And the course that she was interested in was arts, music and entertainment management. And all of a sudden I was like, you know what, actually, I really love performance, but this could be a really good opportunity to combine this love of performance with something that felt a bit more serious and mm. something that I probably should be doing at this point. So I went with her to the open day and I fell in love. I, like the facilities were amazing. It, there were so many kind of like wonderful stories. And because it had this um, connotation with Paul McCartney, loads of like famous actors and musicians would come and do seminars. And it just felt like a wonderful place to be. So I did apply and they offered me a, an unconditional place, which if you remember back in the days of uni, you had to get a certain number of points yeah. to go to certain universities. This one was like, no, we want you. We want you. We don't care what results you get. Like we want you to come. And I felt really bad because the girl that I went with, she actually didn't get in, which made me feel really quite guilty. Um, and I was so happy and I, I needed to take this opportunity, but there was something in me going, Nick, this is, this is 10 minutes down the road. It, it is a nice opportunity, but are you really playing it a bit safe here? Are you just kind of like sticking in your hometown, not really branching out, not really pushing yourself? And I kind of push push past all of that and and yeah kind of like went to this amazing school and it was it was really really amazing um but I definitely didn't I didn't embrace uni life I had a boyfriend at the time um we'd been together already for about a year we lived together I literally moved out of my house like, re like really quite a young age and part-time worked in a phone shop and I was probably living actually the life of a 40 something mm -hmm. When actually I probably should have been out quad vods and all the other stuff that comes with this like freedom of student life. And I think I'd already just like packed myself into this. Yeah. Kind of like almost like 2.4 children type setup. Is it a security thing? Do you think you, you mentioned in your letter, the whole safety element and, and playing it safe and perhaps not going for it and things like that. And I wonder with that relationship flat, uh, teenage well what 18 19 18, yeah is, is is that a safety thing do you think from from kind of perhaps younger years that stability I really think it was I think it just felt like well there's a good opportunity on the table take the one that's in front of you why would you go and put yourself out there mm. for something that's unknown something that you don't know about when there's something good enough right here so do you think why? you could do better at the time you know what from an education standpoint it was probably the better choice but from a social standpoint and I don't mean social in in going out I mean yeah. making connections with different types of people people from different backgrounds and things like that kind of having a bit more independence and not maybe being in a relationship so young that is the bit that I really wish that I would have had the opportunity to do I wish I'd done a bit more travel I wish I'd just kind of been brave enough then to just try and do something different but like I say just felt like the opportunity in front of me was the but was there's the right quite one. a serendipitous moment and you talk to a lot of people in across the board actually of those moments sort of the sliding doors I guess analogy of just taking that chance of oh you know what I'll, I'll join you for a crack and just sort yeah. of get out of school for a day and yeah. lo and behold you walk in somewhere and go 
this is where I should be. This is brilliant. Mm. And you get an unconditional place. There are certain things that feel... Yeah. Like there. So I, I can also understand, but it's really interesting at that point that you wrestled with yourself a little bit to, to almost challenge it. So it's almost like there's that thought in there that's going, is there something more and should that go bigger? So what does that... Because I, I guess there's lots of people that go through those moments in their career. Like, and I'm sure you felt that hour where you're like, oh my God, is this the right time to jump? And should I do this? So what sort of stuff was going through your head at that point to, to help you make that decision to go, you know what, no, I'm going to stay and, and do this thing as opposed to go and explore? Yeah, I think the confidence that I had in myself at that point was probably quite low. I was really good at being confident on a stage but actually the voice inside was probably just a really quiet one. And I think it was a really easy voice to just squash and go, don't be stupid. This is a really mm. good option. Mm. So why, why not just, just go for it? Um, and I probably would have just continued life like that. Um, I think what, what happened next to me was quite a, a difficult kind of fork in the road in that I very unexpectedly fell pregnant and nothing nothing could have prepared me for for that for that outcome at all um it was a time where I felt quite I felt quite alone and it wasn't actually that I was alone I didn't talk to very many people about it I talked to my mum who it's really odd she she knew I asked her to, I was working um in the phone shop one day and that was the day that I found out and I phoned my mum to come and pick me up and I got in the car and she, she just, she just knew. And I don't know how she did, but I think that's something that, um, it's a, it's a mum's instinct sometimes. I was going to say mum's always nice. I say this to all the time. I know everything. That's it. And, um, <laughs> she said, look, you've got to make this decision, but whatever you choose, I will support you. If that means me stopping everything to raise a child, that's what we'll do. If you want support because you want to make a different decision, then that's what we'll do. And I don't think I appreciated it at the time. I think it was only writing the letter um, recently that I really appreciated how big a deal that piece of advice mm. was. Mm. Um, because she was really willing to put everything, mm. to stop everything in order for me to have the, the kind of life that I wanted. And yeah, I think I've only just really connected with with how meaningful that that probably mm. was. Um, and I don't talk to many people about this. In fact, I could probably count on one hand the number of people that that know because I did eventually decide that I wasn't going to continue with the pregnancy, which is a really, it's a really difficult decision for anybody to be faced with no matter what their circumstances mm. are. And, you know, I, I sadly don't think that we talk about this enough and I think we probably should normalize the conversation a little bit more so that the people that are going through it feel a little bit less alone. I didn't have yeah. a podcast to listen to. I didn't have mm. even social media at this point. This was, you know, I was 18 years of age and yeah, I just basically saw my life flash before before my eyes and mm -hmm. yeah, made, made a decision that I felt was was right for me. But I think what it probably did is made me think, right, okay, well, if I'm going to have made such a big decision, I, I need to make something of my life mm -hmm. and make sure that I feel like it was a decision that that was that was the right one. And yeah, yeah, there's definitely been moments where it's been a bit haunting to think about it, but it's, yeah, it was, it it's was the, the what right. It's the what-ifs, right? It's mm -hmm. the, and we were saying before, you know, we share, and actually listening to and when reading your letter, things like that, we shared loads of commonalities, I think more so than I actually thought or realised. 
And I completely agree. I think the the whole premise of going through that and actually at times it can happen accidentally. Mm. And actually there are a point, you mentioned fork of the road, where a decision needs to be made because it is life-changing and yeah. it, the impact is, is huge if you're going to take it kind of seriously. And I yeah. think in the same way, and obviously not like as a comparison, but miscarriages and things like that as well, and, yeah. and, and and especially blokes. And so this is me kind of saying it from a bloke's perspective. Women go through it way harder, but it just doesn't get spoken about enough and to a point where people can then feel like they can ask advice or share a story yeah. or share an experience and things. And so I I hear you and, and I'm glad that you're kind of sharing it now. So thank you. Yeah. How How was the letter writing then as a... I was going to say an exercise. It's not really an exercise. It's kind of more than that, isn't it? Yeah. How did you find that as a process, let's call it, and and an activity? <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't feel like an activity. It felt a bit like you know, when you go up into the loft and you open up all the old boxes and you get all the old <laughs> pictures and the old clothes that you used to wear and it transports you back to this like place in time and it's like you remember it like yesterday all of a sudden it kind of felt like that and in some ways there were like some gorgeous moments where I was like that was great and there were some other moments that I've got to be honest they've they've like tingled on the surface for a few days my poor husband is like you're you're in a world of your own at the moment and I think having the opportunity to write this letter has really brought a lot to the surface and it's I think it's one of the reasons why I do feel comfortable talking about some of the more difficult moments because it's sometimes it's nice to let it to mm. let it out yeah. and let it and let it go. So thank you for yeah, the opportunity. What were some nice. of the tingly ones and what were some of the ones that were um you enjoyed something, those memories? Yeah. Don't have to go into them in depth, but just what were some of the the, the kind of the, the thoughts? You know what, just like some of the amazing projects that I've had the opportunity of of working on, like I've, I've been able to work with some incredible household brands. I remember kind of my journey with Al kind of shifting from smaller companies that were not really particularly well known. And, you know, my dad kind of going, are you, sure, are you sure this is the career path for you? Like what's going on? And then going, oh, dad, Google or Adidas. And he's like, oh, you've got a serious job. And I'm like, yes, yes, this is actually quite serious. It's not parties. Oh, I still get asked to do the balloons everywhere we go. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah, there were some some lovely moments like that. And actually just kind of thinking about how my journey with Al kind of really started, um, I I ended up just meeting Anthony, who is the owner of of Al, at like a neighbour's party he was say, said oh you like events in fact the reason why he said you like events is because I did get into uni thinking I would explore the music industry and quickly pivoted I got asked to or got assigned to the graduation ball as like my kind of like project to look after and so all of a sudden I was like looking after this like graduation ball thinking oh yeah I I feel like this is like a really good path for me and my neighbor I told him about it um, he said, I'll oh, come to this party. There's somebody that I want you to meet. It's a guy that has an events agency. I think you get on really, really well. So me and Anthony talked um, all night. In fact, I remember my boyfriend at the time getting really, really jealous. <laughs> there was definitely nothing in it. Um, getting really jealous. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put my brave pants on. I'm going to call this guy tomorrow and I'm going to ask him for to, if I can work for him for free. Like he can't, you can't say no to somebody wanting to work for you for free. 
the phone up and I'm like, hi, yeah, we met yesterday. I just thought maybe, you know, could we maybe, can I maybe come work for you for free? He was like, no. It's like, I can totally see Ant saying something like that as well. <laughs> no, thank you. No. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, I'd like practiced in the mirror. What do you, what do you mean no, though? What's yeah. The... I'm trying to remember. There I think was it no was just... Because... because It must have been there There wasn't maybe enough work at the time or or something like that. It was, it, was, it felt like it was, yeah, there was definitely a reason for it. But I said, look, don't worry. If you change your mind, you know where I am. And yeah, cried a little. And then afterwards, he phoned me back and said, no, go on, actually, that makes sense. Why didn't you come and join us? And I was like, okay, that's brilliant. And I was like, if I do well for the first three months, you think we can make it six months? And he said, yeah. So I ended up doing a seven-month placement. For free? It was pretty, it started off say, for free. Tell me that 10 years wasn't free. <laughs> 10 years wasn't free. I think at one point it worked its way up to £30 a week, but I, w- I didn't care. I would have paid him to work. And I think so many people in this industry kind of, you feel so passionate about it that you just want the experience. And yeah, yeah so that a lot of people can't. And and I and I, I hear that, but it sounds quite romantic that you could afford to not work or earn for six months to go and explore this. Well, no, 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 no. Let me let me correct you. I just worked in the nighttime. So I oh, okay, would work in yeah. a bar and I would work in the day and I'd work for owl in the day and that that's just the way that that you'd had to do it yeah. back then. You had mm. I didn't get I didn't have like financial support from family or anything like that. We just didn't really have a lot of money around us when we were growing up. So mm-hmm. it was like, well, if you want to do this, you're gonna have to go work in a in a bar. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the way that I did it. And you know, Al was three people at the time. It was in a tiny broom cupboard on like a little road above a pharmacy. And I think what was great about it is that we had to do everything. Yeah. So I would chase the invoices, but I'd also deliver the event. And then you'd also have to go and like buy everything. And then you'd also have to do, I, I was cold calling at one point. God, don't ever want to do that again. Um, but yeah, at one point I was like, hi, you know, do you, do you want an event? Um, so we literally did everything, but whilst I'm kind of pleased to be out of that bit now, um, it actually is really, it does a lot for your grit and your determination and your work ethic because you see the energy mm. that has to go behind building these businesses. Um, and yeah, we all we all kind of played a role there. Yeah, and obviously what's brilliant, and, and I share some of that having joined Iris, although it was slightly later, but Iris experienced, you know, there were four of us tearing wristbands at like two o'clock yeah. in the morning and stuff like that. But like you say, there's something really amazing and, and obviously he's still the MD there and you've seen yeah. this business grow, like not just grow, but stellar, like straight line up yeah. over the course of that time and to have been there at the beginning to see where it is now. That must be have been quite a journey and, and you talk a little bit in the be- le- like letter about some of the client journeys that you've had and things like that. But tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I think it's definitely given me huge appreciation for the back of house operation that makes an agency work. And I think that's what has helped me in my people, in the the people part of the role that I've done, because it's not just people processes for people's sake, it's to run a business and to think about how commercially a business is going to run. And I think that kind of like early experience really stood me in good stead to understand the PL has got to balance. Like you've got to really be mindful of your overheads. You've got to make sure that productivity is high. Like all of these things that aren't really that sexy are necessary for businesses to survive. And I think, I, I'm not sure I would have necessarily grasped that had I just gone into the people space in that kind of traditional mm. way. Mm. I think it really did kind of help me understand that. And 
you know, I loved delivering events. I loved being hands-on with clients. I had some gorgeous clients that I just traveled the world with. And now I look back and think they were probably the heydays. Like when you'd go on, we had on site visits to Abu Dhabi, which was the best bit. It wasn't the actual delivery of the event. It was like the piece before yeah. we checking everything out and just making sure that all these, you know, hotels and restaurants and experiences are brilliant. And it was like, this is amazing. I'm being paid to do this. So there were just some like gorgeous, gorgeous highlights. And I really did kind of like work my way up from intern to like assistant to manager. And then, you know, within five years, I'd reached a point where I was head of operations, which still required quite a lot of frontline delivery. I was still working on some of the kind of juicier projects that we were delivering, but actually starting to be seen as a bit more of a senior role within the business and you know Ant and I had a really good relationship mm-hmm. there was always a lot of trust there and it was nice to kind of feel that start to grow this business to, together I mean his name has always been like over the door but I, I feel like sometimes I've wanted to wrestle him for it because I feel like I've put just as much effort mm-hmm. and energy into it at, at times and that's something that we laugh about a lot so you know I did I did kind of re- really enjoy those those years and reaching that kind of like head of op- operations point really started to shift when I took on one took on one project that probably is the project that maybe slightly broke me um it was say like 2013 and we were working with a really really big brand on a really really big launch but there wasn't very much time to kind of get this project delivered the, the, it was the biggest pitch we'd ever done. In fact, I remember that in the pitch dock, I mean, there's always a cock up somewhere, isn't there? In the pitch dock, there was um, on the meet the team page where it listed all of the different roles where, of all the different team members. There'd been a misprint and my name was next to each role. So when we got in to do the actual pitch, I was like, oh, hi, I'm Nicola Neal. And they were like, oh, you're Nicola Neal. <laughs> you're, you're next to every photo and described next to every single role. And weirdly enough, that's kind of what ended up happening because (laughs) the project snowballed at a ridiculous pace. We probably didn't know the brand as well as we would have liked to have known them with that much time to deliver. You wanted to be able to make instinctive choices for them and you couldn't because you were still getting to know them, but they Mm. needed things fast and they had a lot of pressure from their kind of senior teams to get things. Things had to be perfect. It was a very perfectionist um, kind of, um, yeah, like a perfectionist way of working. And uh, the client was starting to get a little bit snippy. I was like starting to work a ridiculous number of hours and it was getting to the point where the team wasn't that big. And I was under so much pressure to get everything right that I couldn't get help either because the time it would have taken to brief a team in and to get somebody to actually help would have taken more time Mm. than to actually do Mm. the job itself. I found myself like working all through the night because it was the only time the client wouldn't email me. And that yeah. was like my period of peace. Your window. Yeah. And it was, it was quite, it was quite suffocating. And mm. it, to a certain degree, kind of like made me fall out of love with, with events a little bit yeah. at, at the time, which is actually really sad to think about now that I think about it, but it, it probably did. It probably did make me fall out of love. And God, like the, there was so much pressure. Everything was going wrong. The rehearsal day was a mess. It was, it was, it was a car crash. It was an absolute car crash. And then it's almost like one minute past midnight on show day, everything clicked into place. I'm telling you now there wasn't one hitch. It was the most beautiful event I've ever produced. It was huge. It was, you know, multi-million pound project. 
it was stunningly beautiful. And the client didn't even say thank you after it. And I was just like, oh, I've like, I feel like I've lost years. And mm. I, all you want is a thank you. Mm. And that kind of made me feel a bit like, you know what, I need, I need a bit of a break from being on this front line. And that was when that kind of head of operations role at OWL kind of really started to kick in a little bit more. And I think my intention was to go back to still delivering kind of big projects, mm. but actually I really started to fall in love with this more back of house kind of operation, supporting the people, delivering projects, helping them make sure they are resourced properly. Like mm. I wanted to be the support that I didn't feel like I was able mm. to have when mm. I was delivering that project. I remember, in fact, I remember saying to Anthony at the time, I want to go and work in a factory. I want to go work in a factory because I want to do something so mundane and so kind of monotonous because I can't stretch my brain any, yeah. any further. Um, so actually to be in this head of operations role, supporting the team, felt like things were starting to click into, mm. into place a lot a lot more, which and was some really of the nice. things we've talked about with other guests is that sense of not earning your stripes. I don't think that's the right way to, to describe it, but understanding the events world and playing different roles and and doing the do's that you understand. Because when you take on some of those bigger roles or side roles or support roles or, you know, you go into consultancy or you run your own business, understanding the world that we are in properly yeah. allows you to be even better at what you do. You almost can't shortcut that. Yeah. And it's, I think that to be, particularly to be a good leader, you need to have good empathy. And that's exactly what you're talking mm. about. Mm. It's being able to say, I've walked a mile in your shoes. I know exactly how you're feeling right now. I get it. I think mm. kind of like goes a real long way. And that's definitely the role that I wanted to start to start to play for for the team at Al. Do you think you were always destined for that role? Given what we said earlier about this mothering type within your friendship group, but then equally with mm. protection of your sister and then in terms of how things have, have, have led through and, and obviously the, the kind of path that you've taken. Yeah, I think so. I think I've never actually thought about it like that, but I think you're absolutely right. I've definitely wanted to be that person that would protect the team. In fact, I remember being on my first maternity leave and I met up with a load of the girls from the office and was just checking in to see how things were going and they said, we miss you. We feel like we need you and we want to be looked after by, by you. Um, and it actually made me end up cutting my maternity leave a bit shorter than I intended because I just felt like that was, that was a mm. place that I was, that was really, really needed. So yeah, I think, I think there is a bit of, a bit of that going on in there. So if you, if you take then that career and on paper, you have and we were talking before, I think it was Costa, where there was the, the Prince William, I think it was, met him uh, or a Starbucks and things. And you've got this 27 roles within a single organisation from there up to CEO type level in yeah. Starbucks or what have you. And over a 20 something year career, you've obviously had a, a, a shorter one in that respect, but still gone through the the kind of ranks, if you will, within the organisation. Briefly, tell us then about obviously kind of climbing then to the more senior roles. And you were saying in, in the letter and obviously in our conversation as well, there have been opportunities to follow what would be typically that next sensible move. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that, briefly about what that move is, but then equally how things have unfolded or how it then unfolded. Yeah, so, you know, from from that kind of like head of operations role to, um, and then probably around 2020, kind of like the pandemic years, like things things kind of shifted out a little bit. Obviously things shifted a lot for everybody during the pandemic mm -hmm. years, but around kind of 2021, Anthony had decided that he was going to take a step back from a kind of hands-on 
MD role. Um, and it was around this time that I was starting to think, okay, Nick, what's, what's next? You've got to start thinking about what it is that you want from, from your career. Is it kind of working on more project related stuff? So really helping the teams on making sure projects were profitable and they were resourced well and they had good suppliers and doing all of that nice department lead stuff. Is it something that feels a bit more kind of like people centric? Um, or he asked me if I'd wanted to go for, for the MD role. Um, and I thought about it for probably 34 seconds. Um, and I don't know, I just really, really quickly knew that wasn't, that wasn't a route that I wanted to take. And a couple of people spoke to me about it. In fact, the uh, Lauren Mucklow, who went on to become the MD, um, who was, who was brilliant. She did say, mate, are you, are you mad? Do you not, do you not want to go for this? Because the, the two main people in the running were two people from inside the agency already, um, Lauren and Muriel. And she was like, are you sure you don't want to go for this? And I was just really, really sure that actually I felt like I knew enough around how to run a business that this was going to become more about P&L than it was going to be about the thing that I really valued most, which was the people, the connections, and really kind of being in that type of position. So yeah, I quickly, I quickly turned that down, which mm. was actually a wonderful career opportunity for me because it meant that I could facilitate the MD appointment um, kind of like process as well. So it was lovely to be in a position to interview and kind of like really do like a strong MD assessment kind of process. Um, and it was the point where I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe the people route is, is for me. And it was only really from having a mentor at the time. And she wasn't necessarily an official mentor, but a, a lady called Amanda Vine, who was consulting generally for the business at the time. We were having quite a lot of one-to-ones and I don't know, every now and again, you just feel like you really connect with somebody yeah. and you feel like you can open up to them. You feel really psychologically safe with them. And Amanda was that for me. She held space for me. It's so simple, but just let me, let me be who I was. And she, mm. and she reflected some of my, what she thought were my strengths back to me. And all of a sudden this idea of a more formal people route kind of started to take a little bit more shape. Now, usually people in the people space have kind of gone down a more traditional HR route yeah. Yeah. and you'll go and do your kind of like CIPD level three and then level five and you work your way up quite kind of systematically. And I was like, I can't, I can't do a people route formally. Like I, I, I'd, I'd need to study. I'd need to go back and do this. And she's I like- I this is difficult on the wall that says I can. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and she was like, you can do it. She's like, you can do it. I know lots of people that are doing it with the same kind of experience as you. Like, uh, you need to get out of your own way and and really think about it. And I don't know, I think that was my first mentor experience and was absolutely transformational. So I did sign myself up for um, a CIPD, which is Chartered Institute of Personal Development, Um qualification at the highest level so like you've got the experience that means that you can fast track your way mm. across level three and level five which is nice and I said to Anthony I want to be the head of people for this for this business and he was super supportive and said okay great mm. it meant that I got to work with Lauren and Muriel who were appointed to be joint managing partners of the business 
and we were a female force to be reckoned with. And that probably is one of my career highlights is working in a truly collaborative, safe, but kind of positively challenging environment. And, you know, we were navigating an agency during what has been the most crazy couple of years for our industry. Mm. And it was it was amazing and the people responded so well and everything just felt like it. And I really wanted to ask you about this because you didn't just navigate it. You were award-winning with a massively engaged team running a completely virtual operation, which our largely kept, right, after yeah. the pandemic as well, where lots yeah. of agencies were bringing people back in. Yeah. So I'd love to ask you a little bit about that because actually building successful teams, yes, you were the head of a team of a whole business, but actually just any leader, any manager trying to build a successful team, what are some of the things you learned through that period that you could share? So I think what was really fortunate is like the world all of a sudden was kind of waking up to the fact that we are going to have to change the way that we work in order to get the best out of people. And this was good for me because it felt like a mindset that I already, I already had. And Al wasn't a very award hungry kind of agency. Mm. It's just not something that they've ever really wanted to do. And I was like, no, I want one. <laughs> I want one and I want it to be for people. Um, and I promised myself I would never go for something unless I felt like we could deliver on it. And, you know, this is the point where we were recruiting like crazy, as were a lot of other mm. agencies as well. I wanted to create a compelling point of difference. So I wanted to be able to sit on that call and say, this is why you should come and work for us and be able to deliver on it. Like mm. being able to authentically deliver on the employer brand messages that you were giving really meant a lot to me. I upped all of the kind of listening strategies throughout the business. You do not build a good people strategy unless you listen to the people that are in it. And I just really tried to switch my ears on and make sure that we were finding ways for people to communicate what was working for mm. them and what wasn't working for them and build a program around that. So we lit, and when I say we, I kind of worked with an amazing um, person in my team called, called Sarah. Um, she's our kind of people and culture manager. And yeah, we developed a really good recruitment process. We delivered, um, we overhauled our rewards and benefits and we tried to make them as progressive as possible and not stick to the standard stuff that you get every single day. We tried to be really generous with people that were going to be leaving the business to start families and, and things like that. And I wanted to also for us to get a reputation for being the kind of business that didn't just measure retention as its success measure. I, I find retention just like a really funny thing because it is a sign of people wanting to stay in your business. But I cared about being an employer that was also okay to see you go if that was going to be the right option for you. Mm-hmm. Like businesses that really try to hold their people against their will kind of, I don't know, it just irks me slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think kind of that reputation started to ripple throughout the industry. And then people started to really come to the agency because they knew that we cared about people and we weren't caring about people just because it made sense for the business. It's because it made sense yeah. for them as well. Mm. And it got to the point where I said, guys, I think I think we're ready to go for go for an award. And, you know, carefully chose um, campaign. I've got a best places to work kind of list. And the reason why I chose that is because it did an interview. It did a questionnaire, sorry, with with me. And I had to tell them about all the different things that we would do. But it also did one with the people. And that's what actually mattered to me is that Mm. people would be verifying that if I'm saying that I think we've got a good this, that and the other that we actually that we actually have. And we got on the list 
and we did we like featured really high on the list given it was our our first time around so yeah kind of like top 30 agency which just felt like a cherry on top of all of the hard work and all of the hard yeah. energy and it was a, for me personally it was a piece of validation it was okay you know you kind of went off on this route and you didn't necessarily have all of the credentials for it um you did it so, and sorry i was just going to say so with that and that highs that you've then found and, and secured and that validation and things take us then to the point of deciding actually it's not mm. for you anymore but and i know there's quite a blunt right turn here but i think for for those listening as well is this sounds again almost fairy tale building and growing and things but the reality is then there's a there's a big change that happens and happens to you obviously recently where you've then become self-employed and things like that mm, yeah why and how's that been what's the lessons and learnings but why first well to be honest it was that it was that award that award completed for me, it now i'm done <laughs> completed it <laughs> our life completed it um it was as soon as you kind of like win something like that which was a personal goal for me I'm not saying that it's like the benchmark that anybody else should necessarily be measuring themselves against but for me it was the thing that I wanted to achieve and had done it and I just I got really quiet with myself and said to myself what what do you want next out of this and I knew that the likelihood was I'd just be doing the same thing again I might be doing it slightly differently and maybe in a slightly different market but was going to be doing the same thing again and this probably happened at a similar time really to my relationship with Elevate funnily enough kind of really starting to build so I think I've said before I think Elevate has opened ridiculous doors for me in terms of access to a community of people that gen genuinely want good things for you and you haven't paid me to say that that is genuinely <laughs> how I feel um, and I think you know there were loads of people in there Zoe Tufts is, is one of them from Times 10. Emma Castle from Castle Bell. Loads of these people around me are just giving me loads of confidence in myself. And it just, something clicked. And I, I can't put it down to a, to a big, big moment, but something clicked where I thought, I think I need to do something different. And I, I need to think about what moving away from this role and this business looks like. And honestly, one day I just handed my notice in. It wasn't a big sit down and think and plan and write out what I'm going to say. I just went into Anthony mm. one day and said, I, I think I need to call it a day with, mm. with the words. What a difference from, um, you know, to be in a business for 10 years to get to that point and to just have that moment compared to all those years before where you're trying to make that decision and you, you almost didn't have the confidence and the things there to maybe push yourself out of those comfort zones and go. But for a lot of people taking that leap yeah, is a big old leap and... For you, it was a little calling that got louder that you just, was, that's it. I'm going to go in one day and this is it. That's it. And I knew that I had to go in there. And just, In fact, I said to myself, I need a sign that this is okay. And I put on LinkedIn and uh, this was about like an hour before I went into Anthony and I went on LinkedIn and I saw, I think it might have been like a Jay Shetty video or something. And he was looking straight into the camera. It's like he was looking into my soul. <laughs> and he just said, do it. You are going to think to yourself, why didn't I do this sooner? And I've got no idea what he was talking about, but I was like, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll go do that then. So influenced. Um, and yeah, and you know, there was a, a compelling argument for me to, for, to stay and I just felt really resolute. I don't know. 
it's it's something it's like it was something physical or visceral that told me I had to just do something for for me mm. and my family my husband was like what the bloody hell are you doing like this sounds mental like we're we're comfortable we are safe yeah. like this is great it's enjoyable it's Back not like I didn't enjoy my job though, right? yeah exactly and that was it I was like if I don't do it now in fact I said to myself if my daughter who's who's five right now um she's a feisty little character if she came up to me and said mum what should I do in this situation I'd want to be able to say be brave and take the leap mm. and I can't do that if I'm not willing to do it myself mm -hmm. and that was the that was the point and, for me. and how's that leap gone so for anyone that is looking to start a a business venture onto the road as a freelancer become self-employed as someone who is box fresh if, of literally several months you know into it and things and already successful in in terms of the work that you're delivering mm. and the business that you've won and picked up just some of the key lessons or maybe some of the challenges you found and that yeah. you kind of you wish you'd maybe known a bit more about but equally what what some of the kind of the the yeah, I don't know, the, the, the highs. nuggets, the highs yeah. and, and the lows, I think is important to share. Yeah, I think from a highs perspective, I, I tried to speak to as many people who were new were in a similar space. People that were consultants or freelance or just in control of their own kind of income and the projects that they worked on. And not one person told me, don't do it. This is really dangerous. This is really silly. And actually, loads of people said, guess what? If it doesn't work, you can just go and get another job. Mm. And I was like, yep. That's very, very true. So that that's what kind of like helped me build a little bit of confidence. I mean, I'm a few months in. This is brand new for me. And I'm trying to be really awake to the reality of, of working for yourself. I'm learning a lot about my own productivity. Like it's not necessarily the same every single day. Like I'm probably working more at the moment, mm. but I've got to, right? Because it's all, it's all on me now and there's a mm. big lot of pressure on me. Um, you know, it makes me think differently about taking long holidays all of a sudden, which I previously very much liked to do. But I, do, I think they're challenges that are just, they're fun challenges to get into. And it, it's just been a necessary move for me to feel alive again and feel like I can add value and feel like I can make a bigger difference by working with lots of different companies and is soaking up all those experiences there will be bad days, I'm sure, and it will be it will be difficult. And I might decide that actually I am an indoor cat and I like to know when my belly's going to get stroked and I want a full-time job again. But for now, I think it's time to be brave mm. and embrace the challenge and take it for all it's worth. And what skills or, I guess, tools or whatever in, in your toolbox have been the most valuable as you've entered into this new... You become era. the outside cat, not yeah. the indoor cat. I know it rains sometimes. Um, <laughs> I love the cat analogy. <laughs> Nick mentioned it earlier, and I was like, "That is so relevant." Yeah, in terms feels, of this indoor cat versus yeah. an outdoor cat. Yeah, I think um, my husband's always been an outdoor cat, and he started his business only two years ago. So I've been really, really fortunate to have a front row seat to his journey, working for himself from from going to, from a from a full time role. So that has definitely helped. I think that the power of networking and the community and the people that you know is one that I've had to really draw on. Trying to speak to as many people as possible has really, really helped. I think, um, fortunately, I, like, don't tell him. I think I'm quite. I think I'm quite good at this. I, I think I am. And now, actually, speaking to That's other people, okay. I know. I, to say. I can't say it out loud. Um, 
and speaking to new clients and new contacts. I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. Mm. And actually now I've got like, you know, nearly 20, 20 years experience. That's revealing my age. Um, and so I've got stuff to draw on and yeah, I'm going to try and make it work. Is there anything you wish someone had told you before you went to do it that you didn't know already? You're like, oh, I wish someone would have said that yeah. to me or let me know that that was going to be a thing. Like you say, like working more hours, not taking long holidays. Is there anything else? And not relating to that money or other ways and <laughs> loopholes. Right? Oh God, that is a new minefield that I didn't quite, quite prepare myself for, to be honest. Um, no, you know what? I think I've gone into this with my eyes open actually. And that's that's just credit to the people that are around me and asking good questions. Um, so that's been incredibly helpful. I think the biggest thing I've struggled with is just being brave and doing it. But sometimes you've just got to mm. walk in there and do it. So, yeah. and, and I mean, that kind of perfectly then encapsulates the conversation. And we're talking about the piece of advice. And obviously mm -hmm. this session and the, the letter to your younger self is very much around if that one piece of advice, good or bad, so good that you then have to share it, what would that be? It would be be brave and back yourself. And, you know, clarity comes from engagement, not thought. I absolutely love that quote because we can overthink. We can think things through and plan things out. And actually, sometimes you just got to go and do the damn thing and then figure it out afterwards. And I think that has given me more clarity and more comfort that, okay, if it doesn't work out, you'll always find something else. And so... So yeah. repeat that one again, clarity. Clarity comes from engagement, not thought. So go and do it. Don't just think about it. I do like a list, though, of all the pros and cons and what could happen and spending Hang a good on. couple of hours on <laughs> You're it. You're the moment I... here. No. That's a lovely summary moment. No. But I, th I think it's brilliant because it plays out so much in your journey, those moments where you just go... Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna go do it. I know. And you know what? I also love a list. Um, this is the one thing I've never written a list or a list of pros and cons on ever. Maybe I'm mad. Who knows? But I don't know, sometimes your gut instinct is just there and you yeah. think it's the right thing to do. Well, brilliant. Look, thank you so much for sharing, being open and honest on the sofa and the journey as well. Because I think it's Really insightful and obviously the, the shift and more recent change as well um, as what's driven it. So, yeah, appreciate it and thank you very thank much. Thank you for having me. Thank what you. a lovely experience talking to you guys. How did you find that one? I Obviously, we know Nick really well. Our One of our partners and Nick has been on the board for a couple of years now. And I love that you still discover stuff about people that you didn't know. And I think Nick, the thing we know about Nick anyway is that she's really brave. She's really passionate. She cares so much about people. But to see where some of that stuff has come from and to watch her sort of go through this process, both as a friend and close up, mm. but to hear her talk about some of those big decisions. And so many of us are going to have those big decisions in our life where you're like, well, this is good and I'm comfortable and everything's great, but I feel this call to do something else. It's brilliant to sort of have a have a chance to speak to somebody going through that. And I think she was super brave sharing her journey, the story of her pregnancy, um, and just this this part of her life and the sort of exciting beginnings of something new. I think in kind of almost retrospect of that is is this underlying kind of need because of the personal upbringing mm. she had is, is to find and seek safety, which... I think a lot of us perhaps can lean on the air of and, and on the side of, sorry. Uh, and, and we hear a lot of guests talk about this, put yourself out there and things like that. And actually, it's really hard to do. 
the way that Nick explained it, I thought was was fascinating, especially from that perspective at that moment in time. There is a moment in time where actually, no, this is the time for me to do it and taking mm. that leap. And then obviously that journey that she's then continued to a point then actually what's probably the most brave thing is is then taking a complete right turn at a point where you're probably progressing to an MD yeah. or you're offered the opportunity to. You think, actually, no, that's not for me. And actually, instead, I'm going to go and venture out onto my own, which to the probably advice of everyone else saying, oh, my gosh, that's terrifying. Actually, something has said it. And you and her had the conversation about being list lovers. It's the one thing she's never written a yeah. list about, which I find actually quite that interesting. Gut, because gut the gut, Exactly. That gut has obviously said something loud enough. And without kind of being biased, the help or the space provided by a mm. mentor or, or community you know, like yeah. an Elevate to help her realise that. But I think there's something really beautiful about defining your own version of success. And I think nice, yeah. you you get to a point in your career where you've done so much and you, I think you do, and, and I've had this a lot where people, you know, I spoke at an event not that long ago where people are like, well, you're head of and where do you go next? Yeah. And I think what's lovely about Nick's journey is, and that story, and I hope people will take it from it, you know, there's always another next. There's always an opportunity, but, sometimes you have to think laterally and more mm. titles and bigger mm. jobs and aren't necessarily the thing. You get to a point where you go, well, actually, what what do I want and where do I add what's value and what's exciting for me? And Because because it gets to a point where it's not about the titles. Yeah. Um, it's and, more, isn't it? It's about what's fulfilling, what's rich and things like that. And actually, Nick was saying prior to as well is that there's probably two more big shifts or changes, you know, and that's, you know, yeah, you don't I was just going to say how old Nick is, but there's a certain <laughs> kind of big number coming up, might have a four in it. Um, and actually, she then, might kill you for that. She by might, the way. but I'll take that. Uh, but she was saying that, you know, there is still okay time for a mistake or two yeah. or a change or two, and that's okay. And I think that's something that's really, you know, really empowering. And we were also talking, and, and when Nick had said, is that I had always operated trying to be 10 years older in order to earn a space in a room and a conversation and while she hadn't felt that that was the same with her but she did definitely feel that there's a certain level and age where it feels like your confidence aligns along with your purpose aligns and mm. your passions align and that's this moment for her where she's like so that's me then this yeah, is now the, the, is the course it. and it seemed like that is that moment and I found it interesting your point is that you know it's okay and and that's yeah. it so a lovely conversation i thought that uh everyone you know should meet nick she's she's a good egg isn't she she is a good egg and i think we 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 can't let this end without sort of touching on you know the bravery to share some of those really personal stories and yeah. moments because i think for so many people and you know I, i'm sure some of the listeners that we have as well you'll have those points in your life where you're at a really difficult crossroads and you have to make some difficult decisions and you go well what's life after this and what will happen and where does it go and just some of the stories that can come afterwards you know there's there's there, there is the next point there is the story afterwards and there is the thing and I think Nick was super brave to to share some of that in the hope that people listening might find some comfort and find some way so one of the things we'll do in the show notes is perhaps put some links to some of those sort of organizations and places that mm. people can go if if they're finding that they're in a similar position or have people in similar positions that need some support because it's right we need to normalize some of these conversations so yeah. a brilliant chat super insightful and just lovely to have someone we know so well, but where I feel like I've learned just as much, if not more, about her than I thought I would. But it's so great to have someone we know so well on the sofa with us where we've learned probably as much as our audience and, mm. and listeners will. So yeah, what a, another great story. Indeed. 
Elevate operates thanks to the generosity of our partners and supporters. See the show notes to find out more about them. Together, we're changing lives, careers and the events industry for the better. Our producer is Peter Kerwood and our sound and mix engineer is Matteo Margarelio.